FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast on Wednesday, the 12th of May. I'm joined by Kerry and Theo from Singapore. Hey, guys. Chris. Good morning, Matt. Right, let's dive straight into the news. EX Japanese Power celebrates its one-year anniversary tomorrow, so happy birthday to them. Protests in Colombia continued after it sparked by unpopular um, tax reforms. President Biden raised the number of refugees allowed into America to 62,500, up from 15,000. New Jersey State has introduced an offer of a free beer to anyone over 21 who gets their first jab in May. Warren Buffett named Greg Abel as the successor after 56 years of running Berkshire Hathaway. The Colonial Pipeline, the largest pipeline system for refined oil products in the U.S., was attacked by hackers. Uh, this is a 5,500-mile 5, long and carries up to 3 million barrels of fuel per day from Texas to New York. And America's GDP grew 1.6% in Q1, while the Eurozone sank, shrank sorry, by 0.6%. So lots of things diving in, but let's have a look at the indexes. And to start on oil, Brent, we've seen hardly any movement Tuesday to Tuesday. It's Tuesday the 4th versus last night's close, Tuesday 11th. Um, down 0.7%, 68.31. The fuels rocked 3.5%, down 2.2%, 36885 Sing 380, 37910, down 2.3%. Uh, hardly any movement on the 0.5s as well, down 0.9% on the ROT 0.5%, 47731. Sing 0.549731, nearly at the 500 again, but haven't dropped down from above 500 yeah. from last week, down 1.1%. The high fives are continuing their slow rise up. The ROT high five, 108, up 3.8%, and the Sing high five, that's, of course, the difference between the low sulfur fuel oil and the high sulfur fuel oil, up 2.6%, 118. And Kerry, the freight. Well, the Cape size 5TC at 42,031. That is down 928 or 2.1% week on week. Panamax 4TC at 26,404. That's up 3,225 or 13.9% on the week. And then on the tankers, TC2, we've been up. Uh, 35.4% ending 153.06. TC5 down 1%, 95 closing. 32.54, that's the TD3C closing last night, down 7% week on week. And TD25, 81.25 up 2%. But let's bring ourselves to Iron Ore. <laughs> Theo, what have we seen there? Well, we're renaming it to Iron Coin this week. It's no longer Iron Ore. <laughs> Because um, this week's plat 62%. Today, the index came out early due to a public holiday tomorrow. And the number is $233.10. It's up $43.45, which is 22.91% from last Tuesday until today, Wednesday. The 65% fast markets index is at $260.60, up $38.10, which is up 17.12%. And the spread 65.62 is at $31.70, down $1.15 or 3.5%. Now, Theo, these are, these are actually all-time highs on the spot market, are they not? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Monday, uh, today was an all-time high. Monday was an all-time high. Now it's uh, converted today as an all-time high at $233.10. It's just absolutely extraordinary. 
What's driving this? I mean, we are, we're all laser focused on those massive mill margins in China, obviously. And, uh, and ironically, production curbs in China have actually driven those prices up, right? So those mill margins have stayed fairly steady and fairly high. Um, well, correct, but... Well, to actually, I mean, what we said last week regarding iron ore, uh, is iron ore leading steel, is steel leading iron ore? I still uh, am holding that uh, steel is driving iron ore. It's simple as that. It's, uh, production is actually increasing, not decreasing. The margins are just absolutely enormous currently. I mean, the futures margin, which is looking at the October rebar versus the DC September contracts, and then taking into yeah. account port and VAT, etc., is now I've got it at 1,600 RMB. I'm going back, let's say, a year ago, we're lucky to get eight to 800 RMB, and mm -hmm. it's profitable. I mean, the tension... Well, and, going, and going back to January this year, where you were lucky to get minus 300 RMB. So, uh, so it's an incredible swing. That tension physical margins are now 1,401. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, also, HRC has been driving the market on the steel side as well. I mean, yesterday, Monday, we had limit up on the Shufi uh, for Fariba and DC iron ore. And then... What the uh, exchanges did was they increased the uh, limits from respectively 6 and 10% to 8 for REBA and 13% for DC. Then yesterday when no one was watching, HRC was at 7% and closing up at its high. So if it was the day before, it would have been limit up. HRC has been going limit up pretty much every day. And just in Singapore, are, are you seeing any effect at all from the removal of the export rebates in China? Um, or is this entirely being driven by domestic consumption and the export rebate effectively doesn't matter whatsoever? The rebate doesn't matter. It's all, it's all domestic. It's as, okay. absolutely all domestic. Uh, no matter how you look at it, there's an insatiable... I mean, there is... I mean, coming up now, there are a couple of things in China. In July, they're having the Chinese 100-year communist anniversary which would mean by default blue skies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so they will have to slow down some production for that. Exactly. So I do feel that they are front-running production as heavily as possible because there will be announcements regarding yeah, future environmental policies, et cetera, et cetera. So with these sort of margins, these mills and the and insatiable demand, these mills are just running as hard as they can. On the steel side, um, Baoshan has actually said, but they're increasing their June uh, steel prices, their physical steel prices. So we're actually getting some dizzy numbers, but the demand is there. So people, the, the consumers are buying at these levels. Okay. Well, I mean, there's not there's, there's not a very strong argument against that at the moment um, uh, if, if the downstream market's still buying at these levels. Yeah, absolutely. There is, a, there is no downside. I mean, I do a comparison personally when I, I look, what I do is I look at the uh, the SGX US denominated iron ore contract, which is the active one, which is currently June, versus the DC active contract. Then I convert the DC into US dollars and take into consideration VAT, port charges, exchange rate, etc. The spread between SGX, DC in US dollars, get a load of this, is currently 50 US dollars. Wow. Traditionally, historically, it was around, when I started doing this like three, four years ago, it was about $12, $13, $15. Uh, 
and then started moving up quietly through the last couple of months. And today I refreshed it at 50 US dollars. So when people were saying to me that our oh, DC didn't go up, um, went up a lot more than SGX, absolutely. I mean, DC has got a long way to catch up to, to, to SGX because at the moment you just go by port. Why? What else would you do at these sort of margins versus SGX US dollar DC seaboard? You just buy port. It's dirt cheap. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense when the, when the spread's that big. Yeah, um, so that's what we're faced with at the moment. So when people are scratching their head, start looking at the spreads, and you'll start to come to realize, and the mill margin that DC there's it's not going down. Steel will direct the path of DC and um, and iron ore. Nothing else. So Theo, we're seeing absolutely no evidence whatsoever this is going to go any way but one way <laughs> in the future on this it's just going to go the way steel wants it to go that's the way it's going to go and <laughs> the, if steel's taking it to dizzy heights then it's dizzy heights we're going to have if you can forget uh supply forget the idea of uh shipping and supply issues there's none of those i mean i checked uh the last uh the shipping numbers out of australia they're just bang on this time of year i mean out of port Henley, headland we had um, I can't remember the exact, exact number, but it was a pretty decent number for last month. This month's looking... Oh, very, very high, high numbers out of Australia right now, yeah. So, so you, it's, yeah. it's about supply. It's all about supply. And then some people started pointing at India. I mean, India's got low-grade ore, so it doesn't really matter that yeah. much. It's not about supply. Supply's fine. It's the insatiable demand that's the issue here. It's such a big story that I see that even the FT have now picked up on it. <laughs> exactly. So they're exactly. definitely talking about it. But something which <clears throat> is a large part of iron ore complex getting it to china is obviously the freight <laughs> yeah, carrier exactly. so and, and you know anything. these these prices um the market doesn't know what to make of them the cape size market was all over the place during the past week with the physical correcting towards the latter part of last week triggered initially by the sharp drop on paper last thursday but building as the north atlantic in particular looked weak against a lengthening tonnage list and a few new and very few new orders i should say uh something we actually commented on in last week's podcast um Although the tremendously strong start to the week on iron ore has lifted sentiments and it did see some fixing at slightly better levels on Monday uh, on a pure sentimental basis, uh, as well as seeing the front month June 5TC contract jump up to highs of 45,750 on Monday. Uh, the Atlantic Basin continued to drag. There was little new inquiry coming out on the front hall or the TA for late May, early June loading dates. And concern grew that... Um, Valet having taken essentially a fleet of ships last week on the spot market um, in a surprising move for a company that uh, in its chartering habits normally plans very far ahead. Valet suddenly took a vast number of ships for late May and early June at the end of last week off the spot market. Um, so there's concern growing that they may be set for tonnage at the moment. Um, and that allowed nerves to take over on the paper. We saw a very sharp drop, surprisingly, on the Cape June 5TC contract yesterday to close at 39,700. Further drops this morning, bringing that value to 37,250. Uh, the Q4 is faring a bit better, dropping from a high of 29.5 yesterday to a value of 27 this morning on the FAS Live platform. But you know, one thing I want to address is what Theo was just saying. Um, the Australian numbers are quite interesting. So. The, the numbers have been exceptionally healthy for the past month. We expect them to be exceptionally healthy moving through June. That's no surprise. Uh, June is the end of the financial year for the Australian miners. They try to pump out every single ton uh, as we head towards the end of June. 
What's interesting this year, though, is with iron ore prices at these levels, is there an incentive for them to in any way slow down after that end of the financial year in June? No, is a short answer to that. So we shall see, well, while we normally see a ramp up to the end of June and then a bit of a, an easing off of exports from Australia, I would not be surprised at all if those exports absolutely continue. And so, you know, speaking on a very personal view, um, it's difficult to see how this market could utterly collapse on the Cape size, uh, assuming that iron ore prices stay where they are, because the miners will simply be incentivized to keep pumping out uh, whatever they can, barring, of course, some kind of technical catastrophe, um, a breakdown at ports. Exactly. And with everything that's happening around the world, you think that the coming out of the virus cr um, crisis is going to be yeah. throw all sort of previous rule of thumb <laughs> out of the window. Exactly. On these things. Exactly. Um, and while I, I'm generally not a fan of trying to correlate Cape size rates to the iron ore rate, um, in this case, I think there's a very clear connection. Um, it, there's just no incentive for anyone anywhere in the world to slow down their exports um, of, of minerals right now, uh, particularly iron ore. The Panamaxes have had a stronger underlying market anyway than the Capes uh, in the past week with fairly steady gains in all basins. The Pacific Basin has seen healthy levels of inquiry, uh, offset a decent tonnage list, and continued to push up on Monday and Tuesday. Although, despite strong NOPAC numbers and plenty of shorter Indo-South China runs being seen, Australia was a bit weaker. Uh, and it's interesting to note here again, uh, the lack of cargoes to India um, on coal are becoming clearer as the unfortunate COVID crisis in India continues to unfold. It is beginning to affect demand in India for coal, for power generation, for example. Let's see um, if that is interrupted any further. Um, the Atlantic on the Panamaxis has been continuously strong, plenty of front hall inquiry, keeping levels pushing north. While out of East Coast South America, dates for end of May and June remain strong. Um, despite that steady underlying market, it was the weaker Cape market yesterday that seemed to dictate the tone on paper. As a result, we saw that Panamax under pressure through most of the day on the paper. June bore the brunt of the sell-off, slipping from 27,200 to 25,7, uh, while Q3 and Q4 losses were a little bit less severe, slipping an average of 500 bucks. Uh, and levels remain relatively steady this morning. So watch that space on Panamaxes. Cool. Thank you, Kerry. And to move to our final product, it's probably had the least amount of movement, but has had some interesting news happen with that uh, pipeline hack, which the hackers have now gone, whoops, sorry, we didn't mean to cause any problems <laughs> yeah well seeing the fact that it is one of the major pipelines for supplying of products to to the northeast it was of course going to have some sort of impact on things but um <clears throat> in terms of what's happening in the market we've had that brent oscillating between 68 to 70 range kind of uh with a flat price has been weakening slightly but that's because of a weakening of the fogo that's the fuel or gas oil spread which is used to price the 0.5 percent products um seeing last week was uh, minus 45 it's now fallen to minus 54 on the Rotterdam Fogo is from minus 73 to minus 80 50 closing yesterday so relative weakening of the 0.5 percent fuel compared to gas oil yeah. products that we've seen uh, the API figures came out last night and we've seen a draw predicted draw of 2.5 million barrels slightly lower than the predicted 2.8 million barrel drop and 0.8 million barrel fall in dissolute stocks and surprisingly gasoline stocks in the week ending 7th of May rose by 5 million barrels. So somewhat similarly, we've seen a lot of those gas oil stocks 
rising um, some draws in crude if you saw last week the eia they saw that think predicted there was around about minus 7 million we got minus 7.99 was reported by the eia eia sorry so you are seeing that at least consistency from the apis the yeah. eia which we've not usually seen but it'd be good to see what happens later today uh, when the eia release their figures and whether the colonial pipeline or anything else has started to have an effect we'll definitely see that next week it'll be good to see but with those, with the reports of the hacking of the colonial pipeline, we've seen uh, the average price for petrol its highest since November two thousand and fourteen. That's at uh, two bucks ninety eight um, per gallon, or two pound eleven if you were in old money. Um, <laughs> for that's reported by the American Automobile Association. So you are seeing a slight panic by some people, but that's yeah. True. There's been panic buying. I was just reading in the Southeast U.S. Interestingly enough, American Airlines has had to add a stop on some of their flights out of Charlotte, North Carolina now. They now have to stop in Boston on the way to London to pick up more fuel. So it is having some effects. But uh, in terms of the wider shipping fuel oil market, we are not really seeing too much change as we've, as was outlined in the indexes to start with. Very flat in terms of things. You're seeing the, the fuel oil average probably around 380 for your high sulfur fuel oils and just below probably 480, 490 for those 0.5% if you take an average. So we've been around those levels for several weeks now, but in terms of anything to, to report, not too much. We, if, in terms of Baker Hughes, uh, this was on Friday. They saw an increase of eight <clears throat> in terms of the rig count, uh, bringing the total rig count to for 448. So we're kind of averaging in there. And nothing yeah. too much to report. Uh, the number of active oil and gas rigs in the U.S. is now 70 more, 74 more than last year. I mean, that's no surprise. Given where to, the price is, yeah. Exactly. What <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. But it does seem a general sense of we're progressing nicely forward. We were a few weeks ago looking at 60 as more of a level of psychologically where we were. Now we're looking more towards 70. So we have seen that recovery. Uh, and all eyes will be obviously looking towards OPEC production yeah. figures, what they're saying with that meeting that was cancelled to move uh, forward to, to later dates. But in terms of, of most of the other things that are happening, it seems kind of average, not too much happening there. Everything has been on iron ore. Theo's got the best run of things. <laughs> exactly. Got Theo's got the money. interesting product. <laughs> I've actually got a fun a dinner party fun fact for you guys. Um, did, did you know that Australia had a barren export of iron ore until 1966? Really? And the, yeah, and the official reason was the government's policy was that the limited number of reserves had to be saved for their domestic use. But the real reason, <laughs> the real reason is actually this. In, in um, 1938, they stopped shipping uh, iron ore to Japan and they, the government imposed an export embargo because they believed Japan was using Australian ore to build their military weaponry. And that was the real reason why. So then... That the ban was actually eased in that 1966 period by a campaign of these four visionaries which convinced the government that their reserves were plentiful. One of those was a guy called Lang Hancock, which is the original billionaire miner gangster. And <laughs> he also, what he did was, along with his partner, when they started inviting international investment companies to look at mining in the WA, he struck a deal along with his partner with Rio Tinto that gave them 2.5% open-ended royalties uh, to this day, which are provided to their generous revenue stream for their entire family. Wow. So <laughs> All right, stop. Not a bad deal, is it? 2.5%. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not, so not get, at 230 bucks a tonnage, not, no. Get, get calculator out and work that one out. Oh, brilliant. How things change. Exactly. I wonder if we have a situation about, well, you've seen the, the drop in relations between China and Australia. Are we going to have a, I mean, they're definitely using that to build their, uh, <laughs> their fleet for the South China Sea and all things going on there. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, I don't think they're ever going to touch iron ore and LNG, that's for sure. Might be uh, hiking up the Chardonnay and the lobster, but I think iron ore and LNG uh, <laughs> will be pretty safe. Yeah, but um, before we cause a diplomatic incident uh, with some further <laughs> comments, I think that unless anyone has any other points to, to raise before we finish for this week, we will say goodbye to, uh, to Theo, to Kerry. Thank you for all your points and experience and uh, knowledge on this. And to everyone listening, hopefully you'll join us again next week. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, mate.